Hey everyone, and welcome to the Hardcast. That's right, Channel Fireball's new, or not entirely new, podcast with myself, Tristan Sean Gregson, and my co-host, Robert Martin. Hello again. Uh, I mean, let's address it right up front. Last week we did an untitled, unnamed episode for our flagship show here on Channel Fireball, and thanks to quite a few people that responded in the comments, uh, we got some great ideas for what to name it, and uh, we're sticking with the Hardcast, or or maybe even just Hardcast. I'm not sure which I like better. I might throw around both from here on out, but uh, you are listening to the Hardcast. Yeah, we had some interesting suggestions for who would be there. Uh, is there any other one outside of this list that you're listing here that you'd like to uh, discuss? No, I think I, I think I kind of pulled together all the ones that, uh, you know, made sense or weren't over the overly crude or suggestive, and uh, just kind of wanted to give a, a couple of shout outs to people that um, came up with some ideas as well. If you want to run that list by us, Robert. Uh, Yeti uh, said uh, Yeti at MTG Cast had first turn and burn with TSG and the Beamy. Uh, Neil at Channel Fireball had fire news. Um, Lucas, who was our correct, who suggested the hard cast. Uh, second Lyle Channel Fireball said Channel Surfer. Uh, Wheel of Armageddon had uh, at Channel Fireball had Channel Fireball the Ocho. And I, I want to use that name for something. Like, I know it's not today, but I, I, I mean, it's hard <laughs> enough to get web to talk about anything, but I love the idea of Channel Fireball the Ocho. Like, I don't know if that would just be our website translated to Spanish, but something one day we really got to use that because it's great. <laughs> Trouble Starts at Channel Fireball had Radio Fireball and... Theoden at Channel Fireball had the Weekly Burn. Uh, those are the ones that were highlighted on our list of choices that Tristan had as his favorites. And we'd like to at the end thank Lucas for the suggestion of the Hardcast. We uh, we here at Channel Fireball like it a lot and uh, look forward to branding it on some kind of sweet scarf or something. Like I don't know what what cool like podcast attire you and I are going to get, Robert. That's like exclusively ours because obviously we don't get the cool team shirts or anything but we'll, we'll have something i i, I want to get our logo with like some headphones on maybe like a 30s to 40s like speaker in front of him i think that'd be pretty sweet because he's still yelling like it makes sense there you go no that's, problem that's more of a long-term goal look for hardcast scarves coming winter 2011 well they were wearing them on the on the the coverage of the last uh, pro tour event i believe they were wearing some sort of scarves so that, that could be a new fashion Wow. Well, everyone has to protect themselves from Go for the Throat, so it, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> um, we had some articles this week. Uh, let's run through some of the f- articles this week that they had up there. Uh, uh, Martin Juza wrote his first article for Channel Fireball. goes into limited situations that sometimes a pro shouldn't have happened to him and what he did about them on tips and also tips on what to play in the next extended PTQ, a recommendation of Ferries or Valakut. And a great combo of Time Sieve and Thopter Assembly. Does he have a sweet extended deck list with those two cards in it, I assume? Uh, yes, that's also listed in there, too. Uh, it's, a little, it's a little awkward that he would um, recommend Fairies or Valakut, but then give you a, a Time Sieve list. Like He's like, hey, you know, I'm, not, I'm not too sure about this one, but uh, here it is anyway. Well, you know, sometimes it's one of those things you float it out there, then all suddenly someone grabs it and says, hey, you know what, let's put this together and see what happens. And then all suddenly, you know, because they're sharing deck lists all the time, all suddenly this deck list comes popular on MTGO, and then all suddenly it's like, hey, wait a minute, that was my idea. Let's see what the deck list runs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I definitely know 
I have a couple of friends who Time Steve, like that's what they've been talking about. I mean, even before Thopter Assembly or Icker Wellspring or any of the new cards were were spoiled, they're like, it's got to be a way to make that combo work. This just got to be. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. But that's the kind of thing they'd like to work on. So getting a getting kind of a starter list from Juzo would be pretty sweet there. Yeah. And it's always great to be the first to kind of like plant the flag in a deck. So like two months from now, when like Time Steve is crushing PTQs, it'd always be like, oh well, Juzo was on top of that forever ago. Yeah, and also when the price of Time Steve goes up from like what three bucks to ten bucks, then. Jeez, I don't even know. It's three dollars. That seems. I don't know. I'm, I'm bucks, guesstimating. Three bucks makes it sound like it'd be in a deck. Like usually that thing sells around a dollar fifty, maybe two tops if. If there's a lot of people thinking it's going to be good. Hmm. I mean, meanwhile, Thopter Assembly just keeps dropping for no good reason. I think that card's totally okay, but you can pick them up right now for like 50 cents. Wow. Yeesh. Well, I mean, not saying you shouldn't. This might be a good idea. I mean, that card could easily double in value, but we're, n- we're not talking finance right now. We're oh. talking sweet articles. Yes. Uh, Kyle Logan has talks about decks that he likes and dislikes for the upcoming season. Uh, every major deck is discussed with deck lists, including Poison and Tezzeret, and how ironic... Um, Tezzeret made some major headway this weekend in Paris. We'll talk about later on. So it's and that's all standard, correct? All standard. Uh, basically, breaks down every major every major player, um, Valakut, etc., in the deck list, and you know what he likes and dislikes about each deck. Yeah, I've already seen him in some. You know, here we are recording this uh, right after the end of day one at the Pro Tour, and I, I've already seen him in some coverage. So. He didn't bomb at that event. Obviously, he, uh, he's he got something brewing right now. If we're looking at him, he's got all these lists. Yeah. Uh, Kaleeb, uh goes through the decks he would have played at Atlanta, but then shows a red-blue-white a red blue white deck list that almost made the top 32 and how the matchups were against the major players on the extended level. It's, it's another way of... Because everybody's tinkering with different decks for extended, and it was a, it was an interesting... It's interesting when you see you're going against... This deck, here's what you need to side out and put it in why. So, it, again, it's another another way of having help with extended and something different, not your standard fairies Valakut deck list. Now, 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 Caleb's article I I did look at a little bit, and um, now because I'm like you know pestermite combos, it seems pretty exciting, and kind of like backdooring your way into it seems even more exciting. If it's not like you know, you're, you're so focused on doing this one thing and making it happen, which I thought was pretty cool from his list. It's like, you know, you're kind of playing control deck that is eventually going to make this thing happen because you can do it. It's not like, oh, I, I have to get to this combo as fast as possible. All my deck does is try to assemble these pieces. Um, so I, I found that I found that very interesting. And, and I think that um, this is definitely uh, an archetype, uh, a, a kind of deck you could build that will be definitely a surprise to a lot of people at the PTQs in the next, uh, next little while. And unless it, you know, all of a sudden starts finding its way into a bunch of headlines, and then it might be a little harder to surprise people with it. That's true. Uh, Adam Barnello uh, hashes over Legacy decklist from Cold Snap and how the possibilities of Jason Tezzeret could make it in Legacy. And, again, Tezzeret's name comes up again, and that just seems to be a reoccurring theme in a lot of people's conversation. You seem to love this card, Robert. I... Uh... I mean, yes, we've heard his name a lot recently. Yes. I want to chalk a little bit up to the fact that, uh, you know, the new Planeswalker in the new set, people are obviously doing a lot of speculating with him. You know, not not to say it won't see play, but uh, I, I don't know. I, um, I, I, there, I To me, it's like the possibility of Jace being played in Legacy. I think he's already being played in Legacy. Uh, the possibility of Tezzeret matching up next to him, you know, maybe not necessarily pushing him out of the spotlight, maybe working together. 
Uh, I'd be interested in that. I, I definitely think that um, they can complement each other well, and I'd be very interested to see how those cards would potentially interact. In the, uh, was it, is it just counterbalance decks he's talking about, or are there other places for Tesla? Uh, right? uh, it was just it was just one deck list that he referred to when it came to it uh, when it referred to that article. So, you know, he was going over different deck lists from the Cold Snap era and putting it together, and then he came up with the Tesseret Jace deck at the end that he talked about. So it was interesting. Um, Josh examines top, des- top decks from Indy, from the Star City Games Indy, uh, including Red Black Vampires, uh, Cadaltha Red, and How to Beat It in Basically Every Color, uh, Blue Black Control and Fixes for It, uh, Valakut with Slagstorm as the new sideboard card choice, and Slagstorm, uh, I, Slagstorm might be another card that my people might be really interested in because Slagstorm can handle uh, our little problem called Planeswalkers. Uh, I can handle some of them. Some of them. Gideon Jura, he just kind of tickles. It's not like the best answer. Um, I think I, I think a lot of people are just kind of assuming it's going to hit Jace and probably Elspeth. But it's not even like a home run against Tezzeret, because usually he comes into play and he's going to immediately draw you a card. And if he didn't, he immediately domed you for five, and then you might not want to take another three. That might be a bad thing. But uh, I, I do like it a lot in Valakut. I think that... Uh, you know, sometimes you're just short that one last Valakut trigger and you can go to the face with it, and all those other times you've got a, a sweet power, fire spout on e- with both sides, which seems pretty good in this um, fairly aggressive-looking format right now. Well, aggressive in the sense that there's a lot of small threats going around. It's not like all-in red. Or I guess I guess uh, Kodotha Rebirth could be considered kind of an all-in red deck. But uh, no, it's it's definitely a good card. I, I, like, I like where he's going with that. I like his, uh, his analysis of vampires. It's definitely interesting. If you're a vampires player, this is an article you definitely want to check out. Yeah, well, you know, Go for the Throat just made vampires uh, a whole lot more fun, especially in the head-to-head matchup, which is really, which is really nice. Um, Matt Nass, um, let me guess. Elves! Yes. Ah, never would have thought. Never would have thought. <laughs> Legacy. We've got to get our Photoshop guys to put his face on top of an Elvis champion. I don't, I don't know how this hasn't happened yet, but it's got to happen because I, I swear to gosh, like, I mean, Atlanta, he played a different deck, I think, but he could have been else. You never know. <laughs> he, uh, it's Legacy Green with a uh, green with a splash of blue elves with uh, the cards I thought that were really interesting in their Revenge Vines, which makes sense with elves. Uh, Regal Force and Intuition. Uh, Regal Force. I didn't see that one coming, and I thought that was just a fascinating card that he had in the in the deck. It just it seemed like it was when I read the card and realized what it did. I was like, "Well, that actually fits." But it's kind of interesting where sometimes the the tech for a card like that comes out of nowhere. Well, uh, Real, Real Force has been around and extended for quite a while uh, before they changed the rotation format. The Elves decks would usually play one Regal Force, uh, kind of like. Do something with all that mana they've created is another can, another way to, you know, like if they don't have glimpse go off or if a glimpse going off wasn't enough to draw your whole library, this guy was kind of um, part of that plan or a backup plan. He's definitely been there before. I, I think the real surprises out of the uh, the elves with blue deck for me was you could play brainstorm as well as intuition. Yeah. And out of the sideboard, you actually have access to like mindbreak trap or um, even actually other blue counter magic because you do have blue mana in your deck. Well, it's just it's it's nice because you, you know, you think of what elves does, and it just gets such a, a massive amount of troops out there in front of you, and then you plop this thing down, and it's like, 
I'm just going to draw till I get to exactly what I need to get to. Thank you. <laughs> you know, let me cast something that costs seven and draw five or six cards. It's just such a beneficial advantage to keep the card count up. And I, again, another, another elf, another elf article, but you know, it was, it was interesting, especially with the splashes in there. Um, uh, uh, Chaz talks about black cards in commander, uh, including, I'm going to, Butcher this guy, butcher this. It's Harold of Leshrac. Lesh- oh, bam! Spot on. Oh, Spot on. Uh, we could get Caleb Dunward's name right, but we've got yeah. we've got Harold of Leshrac. Yes, there you go. Uh, which could be amazing considering the lands it's available to be taken. Uh, that is such a powerful card in Commander because it just keeps stealing other people's lands, and you know, so many times in Commander. Uh, the lands, the different multicolored lands are so critical to a deck, and to just have this thing start taking them away, it's a very, very powerful card. No, uh, I, um, I, you know, I'm not big on Commander. I don't know that much about it, but I do like the fact that Chaz is doing a series on it, especially for not not just the you know cards you should be looking out for, but really the discrepancies in the foil pricing. And that's something that you know I ended up knowing a lot about, having to re- having to price a lot of cards. And those commander foils, man, they can become quite quite expensive and, and exceed the value of a normal version by you know tenfold sometimes. It's pretty impressive. So this is this is valuable information from someone that plays a lot of commander um, and also does a lot of trading. I mean, he, if if I played Commander, even recreationally. It'd probably be something I'd be really interested in because there's some great tips in there. Well, considering the card he's recommending is, like, on average, like, a dollar. I mean, it is six and a black, but in Commander, getting to seven mana is never an issue. And it's just it's interesting to just see it just constantly. I gain a land, my creature gets bigger. It's it's fascinating. It's a, it's a, really, neat, it's a really neat card that... You know, you would never think of ever seen play anywhere else but Commander. It's a it's a beautiful Commander card. Let's see. Right. Uh, um, a great welcome back, uh, Jonathan Locks, uh, back to Channel Fireball, writing again, and the beginning of the great designer search run. And it's a must read if you really want to get it, really want to make your attempt at it, because he basically breaks down the first part of his run. And I, I thought it was fascinating. Uh, we had discussed ahead of time how much work he had put into this to attempt to make it, and he finished, was it fourth or fifth? He, he was fifth. He was fifth. just out of top four, which yeah. is heartbreaking for me because John was easily my pick to win the whole thing. Um, I've been a fan of his for quite a while. Um, you know, rooting him on in the Portland run he had last year at the, at the Grand Prix where he top-aided. Uh, Smart kid, amazing kid. Like I, I, I think eventually he's going to have a job with him anyway. So I don't, I don't feel too bad in that respect. But I definitely think I thought he was going to be the runaway uh, winner of this competition. And I really liked, you know, I, I saw this article ahead of time. I really liked how he broke everything down, especially because in the first few stages of uh, the Great Designer Search too, I was also participating. So it was great to just match up answers, match up comparisons and feelings about about answers, especially ones that we both got wrong, and I was like, oh, I felt the same way about this, or like, oh, I got caught in that trap too by this thing, or, or you know, like, just what's Wizards feeling on, you know, what a creature, what's a t- Johnny card, or what kind of creature should have what kind of abilities. Um, it's a great article just about understanding magic, and I, I think that, you know, even if you're not super into the great designer search or card design, 
you'll just have a better understanding of, of the game, the way the game works. And I, I think ultimately it does, it transovers into like limited skills because obviously when, you know, design happens, a lot of it happens for that format and you, you'll learn a lot. I think it'll actually, it could, you know, it could make you a better drafter. I, I think ultimately if you read the, these, uh, more of these articles about design and, uh, again, John Locks is, is great. I, uh, I, a tear that he didn't win this thing, but I'm sure he'll. I'm sure he'll get a great job doing something. He's already working in game design, so it's not the end of the world. Well, you look at it this way; it's only the beginning, you know, of the article. I mean, there's going to be more to it, and then you know, like I said, it, it's really interesting to. I mean, because it's how difficult it is to actually make it to where he got to in that, you know, as far as he did in the great designer search, because it is literally. I mean, from people that I was listening to, I mean, it is all consuming. As far as time goes and effort you have to put into it. And oh, yeah. Well, this, this time around, you had to create your own magic world. You had to create your own uh, mechanics. You had to create your own cards. Uh, I mean, I, I can't believe the amount of free labor that uh, Rosewater is able to suck out of people on this on this whole project. I mean, Locks created an entire world with his own mechanics, his own cards, that a lot of them are like, well, it would be a shame if they didn't get printed because they're so sweet. Like, um, it's it's incredible how much... How much free stuff uh, Wizards of the Coast, Mark Rosewater, and the design team got out of out of these people, and I hope that it all pays off for all of them. Well, it does show it does show how important you know how important it is to people to actually get a chance to do something like that to work with magic. So there's nothing really wrong with that at all. I mean, you know, and like I said, if they find a handful of things out of there to use in another set, then you know what? Then it worked out for them even better. You know, you you have someone who had a great idea for a design set. Hey, let's run with it. I don't know that. Uh, another one that's going to be released tomorrow. Uh, Alexander Shear, vivid uh, and blue white control uh, control options choices. His build and some tips and guidelines against potential matchups. Uh, it's interesting because blue white again this weekend had another a large amount of people were playing blue white control. From Cogo to uh, almost a blue-white aggro deck, which really sounds odd considering what blue-white is, but it almost it, it had the build of an aggro build with uh, um, one of the cards you're going to discuss with later on in uh, your uh, pricing segment for cards going up and down. So it is interesting. Um, are we are we sure we're talking about the same article? Yeah, because Alexander Shear wrote about uh, five color control in extended. Mm, did I get that wrong? Well, I might have. Uh, I got myself screwed up there. I apologize. No, um, it's okay. Okay. Um, Paul's article this week uh, about the theory of brain usage and how to how to play cards at the right time can mean the difference between winning and losing. Another great. Do we uh, do we want to just go back, edit that, and try it again? Uh, the problem is I can't stop it. Well, do we want to like make a marker for stuff to take out? It yeah. seems like at this point we definitely should. Okay, uh, shoot. Like we're we're both right because he ended up with a list that's blue that's blue white control. Yeah. But he started with Zame's five color control list and talking about five color control in extended. Yeah. Okay. And before he came up with this like the immortal engine deck as he called it. So we had Alexander Shear's article this week. Yes. About a five-color deck list that turned a five-color control deck list that ended up turning into a blue-white control. 
uh, deck list. There's options, uh, his choices, and his build, and some tips and guidelines against potential matchups with it. It was it was interesting because that's the same deck that Zame wrote. Zame, uh, he references Zame's list from yeah. Atlanta, yeah, and then he ends up with a pretty sweet blue white deck that has the uh, Trinket Mage Elixir of Immortality interaction. Uh, or as he likes to call it, the like the infinite engine or something. I don't remember exactly what he calls it, but uh, it's it's the loop of the infinite library and uh, potentially infinite life or infinite anything because you again your deck keeps recycling, which is nothing wrong with that. That's always nice to have the cards back in there you need. All right, um, Paulo this week wrote about the theory of brain usage and how playing cards at the right time can mean the difference between winning and losing games. It was a fascinating article. It's interesting because a lot of times when you read this article, you see yourself sitting in the same situation he outlines and goes, oh, yeah, well, I would lightning bolt that creature to kill it because it's off the board, it doesn't hit me anymore, and I'm not losing life on it. And he explains why playing certain cards at certain times can get you more more value out of it than otherwise. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, that's definitely um, a great article for people looking to really improve their game because I mean he goes over at length your you know your opening hand is a blue black mage and your opponent goes mountain attack you with goblin guide and you're holding disfigure and you know what do you do you know go over explaining why you make the decision you make and explain to you how to do things similar to that in many different circumstances with many different cards and I think it's a great article to read for people that play any level because those are the decisions you're going to have to make almost every match, and knowing how to use your cards and when to use them is a huge deal. Yeah, I've fallen guilty to that plenty of times of the, it's an early threat, it's going to take me down to a number I don't really want to get to this early in the match, so instead of saving something that could help me when I really need it at the end, you waste it early, and then you realize at the end when you needed it, oh, I shouldn't have done that, you know. So, it, again, it's a definite must-read for anybody who, you know, really wants to improve their game. Conley, um writes basically an article this week about a lesson in humility and how it makes you better in the long run and what it takes to improve your game to the next level, uh, even in pro. I thought it was it was a rather long article again, but that's not surprising with Conley. It just, it's interesting because, you know, you have this, you know, Conley's like really out there with himself as far as, you know, how he's willing to explain to people who he is and, you know, even when things are good or bad, that, you know, this is the way it is. And, you know, you need to look at things differently to make yourself better in the long run. Yeah. And, uh, you know, who would have thought Connolly Woods, an article about humility. Ned didn't think I was going to live to see that one. Yeah, I know. So. But, but that's just weird. I don't know. I, like I said, I mean, it, it's amazing the stuff Connolly throws at you. Uh, but considering his major in college, you know, that psychology and, and, thing and helps. And those listening at home that aren't familiar with his resume. Yes. That would be, what was his major in college? A psychology. Oh, well, there you go. So, which also helps in, in Magic to have a little mental, be able to play the mental games a little bit. Uh, Andrew this week is writing about how to build the best cube and have the most fun with your group. Now, this is an yeah, we have a, we have a new guest writer, Andrew Cooperfoss. Yes. And... He takes you, uh, he's, I think it's... An argument for aggressive strategies in cube. Which is not a lot of times done. 
I mean, a lot uh, of times... It's, it's a very hard balance to make, because you want to play all these sweet, awesome control cards, and Limited's all about sweet board sweepers when you can put infinite in your cube, and just playing two power guys for one doesn't seem all that exciting. No, but he does, he does, he does explain the balance that is required in a cube to make it successful, which is, which is good, because one of the problems is, is a lot of times you build a cube, and it's like, all suddenly one color is superior, better than another, and it doesn't play out as well as you'd like to think. So I thought it was, I thought it was very good. Um, Brian Grewal, Greary, I think is his name. Yeah. Uh, talks about white sun Zenith's impact on standard and, uh, decree of justice impact on EDH and what it means in pricing. Uh, white sun Zenith was definitely a card that draws interest and, it has potential. Uh, a lot of people don't like the fact that it costs three white, but in the control matchup early on to be able to even put out a blocker early to stop something, and then when you draw it late to put out five possible attackers the next turn, I, it's interesting. And I like how he does the pricing and availability and all that stuff. I think that that makes it quite interesting. Oh, I mean, obviously, if it's an, an article entirely about one card, it's it's got to be good, right? I can't. I can't imagine someone giving us 2,500 words about how bad inoxorable tide is. Like, I, I still don't think that would be an article. So you've got to assume that he is going to back this card and, and give you as many different ways to utilize it, play it, formats in which to do so, and try to get you to invest in it, I guess. Yeah. Now let's go, let's go to one of my favorite parts of the show, the uh, up movers and sellers of the week. Yes. So I had a, I just had a, a couple of picks for everyone last week. This week it's a little bit harder because we've got the Pro Tour going on as we speak. And for those of you that don't know, obviously a major competitive event like this is going to shake up a lot of prices in the market because next week everyone's going to want to go to F&M with exactly what the pros are playing. So there are a far fewer cards that are going to be super low that I think you can speculate on right now just because almost everything has the potential to go up. And everyone's just going to be glued to their computer screens this weekend to see exactly what wins. But does that mean there still isn't room to, to get something out of uh, your money or get cards now on their way up before the weekend's over? I definitely remember during Worlds, uh, the price of Grave Titan went up over the course of the weekend. And by the end of the weekend, it was significantly more than where it started on a Friday. I actually, I actually uh, bought them on MTGO that weekend because I was going to start playing more standard at that point in time. And I remember, like on on Sunday, I I bought them on MTGO because I was working so much on other stuff during the Friday Saturday portion. And in that same day, my cards were worth more money. So that was that was pretty interesting. You have the opportunity to make that kind of uh, financial win, but uh, just you know, cards that are on the up and up, maybe because of this tournament, maybe they're going to be played more. We'll start at the lower end of the value spectrum right now. Signal Pest, uh, he seems pretty obvious. I mean, sure, it's a small set uncommon. We at Channel Fireball sold what seems like a ton of them at a quarter. Then we sold even more at 50 cents. He's up to a whole dollar right now. Uh, to me, this card is a lot like Memnite. I mean, Memnite is a solid $2. It's a four of and some decks. It's versatile because it's colorless, and it can go into a lot of aggressive decks. Signal Pest is almost better universally in aggressive decks because you're going to get more out of it all the time than you are out of a card like uh, Memnite, which usually has 
its best interactions with Kadatha Rebirth, Glidhawk, Quest for the Holy Relic, as where Signal Pest has great interactions with all those cards and then some. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's going to have as much room to grow, because, again, we're in a smaller set. However, it kind of depends on how much Besiege gets opened and how much this guy sees play. If at the end of the weekend the dust is settled on the top eight and there's eight to 16 copies of this guy in the top eight, he could be $2 instantaneously. Otherwise, I think he's going to find a slow, steady climb, maybe get close to $2. Again, depends on how much action he sees, but definitely a good buy. Yeah, he com- he combines well with another one of your cards on the list that you're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, well, I guess we'll go right to it then. Mox Opal finally seeing some love. It was, uh, you know, I, I, you know, your preview of a mythic Mox and it's worth something. And it seemed like so many mythic rares out of Scars just kind of tanked after they were released. And Mox Opal is slowly climbing its way back up the ladder. Uh, at, at its lowest, it was like nine dollars. And right now, I think it's a 20. It's a two of in some decks. Uh, we're talking Tezzeret, we're talking Goldotha Red, and future artifact incarnations to come. How high could this card really get? I mean, if it's a consistent two of, and it's not a sideboard card, probably not a whole lot much more than 20. Again, if you can pick them up for anything less than that in this weekend, in the coming week, go for it. If you can find this card, I think anywhere up to. $15 is a safe bet to buy, and you'll be happy with it. You won't. You would definitely won't lose money on it, because I think right now, Chell Fireball has them listed for 20 Yeah. Moving on to more artifacts, we've got Ratchet Bomb right now. I think this card actually has a lot of room to grow. It went through a lot of fluctuations. Uh, it was one of my picks for going to be one of the most played sideboard cards at Worlds. It didn't end up being the case. There was a lot more control. In this current metagame, I think it's a lot more split. Again, with all the Kadatha Red decks, and you're still seeing a lot of Stoneforge, Mystic, Squadron Hawk, Equipment decks, Elf decks, you know, Quest decks are still out there. There's a lot of beatdown. Ratchet Bomb is such a blanket answer. Uh, you know, when it, I think at its lowest, it was like $4. It's already on the way back up. Uh, I think this could be an 8 to $10 card, because it's going to be a sideboard card in a ton of decks. It's even a main deck card in a few decks uh, of varying quality. So it's definitely a pickup. Anywhere in the four to six dollar range, I think you're going to want to buy this card. Next, then we've got we've got so much stuff going up right now. Um, the legacy event that Star City had recently brought you a new um, Grim Monolith deck that also kind of put a card like Hold Off the Forge Master on the map. We went from a twenty five cent rare to a two dollar rare overnight, and Cut Off the Forge Master. Still does cool stuff in a lot of formats. I mean, extended, you can thousand year elixir with it to go get your blight steel colossus, to go get your worm coil engine, to get whatever you need. It still has the same kind of impact in standard. I mean, now that we have Tezzeret turning your tumble magnets and spheres of the suns and mox opals into five fives and finding them out of your deck and getting more value out of them, Forge Master does kind of the same thing. And get them now. I mean, there's tons of places that are still undervaluing this card. Um, I would be willing to pay. I'd still be willing to pay two dollars at a buy on this card right now, just because it's in. It can be in so many formats. I mean, obviously, anything under that's an instant scoop. But I think two dollars is still a good buy on this card right now. It might not be hot forever, but with White Steel Colossus coming out, Thousand Year Ricks are still an extended. It's a card worth picking up and worth playing. Uh, we also have Stoneforge Mystic. 
Stoneforge Mystic. That card, we might have missed the boat on it, is the only problem. Um, again, rares and standard kind of really cap out at 20. This card is getting dangerously close to that level. On Channel Fireball right now, I think it's like 18 or $19 already. So there isn't much room to grow. If you can trade for it cheaper, find it cheaper, definitely pick this card up. Uh, you know, a year, a year ago, quite literally, in San Diego, Team Fireball was playing like two copies of this guy and their boss, Nyadek. He was tooting her up in the, the equipment package. Really spectacular. This year, they're playing it an X4 of this time around, snagging equipment. Uh, I mean, like, in the long run, it's a card that can only get better. They're only going to print more equipment, so it's only going to do more stuff. I mean, obviously we've seen that with the onset of living weapons and more new swords. Uh, I think this is a safe buy at 15 or less. And if you... (coughs) I'm sorry. If you want to play more competitive magic in the near future, it could be a $20 card and it could be worth it. There's no reason this card can't be the noble hierarch of its era. Well, it, it, they're using it today, they're using it in combination, like you said, with the swords, and it, it's amazing. You can Stoneforge Mystic out, you know, a sword, and then all suddenly the next turn you're swinging with it, and it's a threat with blue-white control. I mean, it's like a turn three major threat in blue-white control deck, which is, which is great. I mean, it, it does something different than what blue-white control usually normally does. Well, I mean, as I'm sure many of the Channel Fireball crew will be pointing out, not only this weekend, but in weeks to come as they write tournament reports. Blue-white control, the look of it and the feel of it has changed a lot with the ability to tutor for four flying 1-1s and on a 1-2 creature for two that can also tutor for any equipment. You can still play a control kind of deck with Planeswalkers, with Counter Magic, but you can change gears on the fly. I mean, very Tom Ross, Boss Nia style, again, from a year ago, where your deck can do a lot of different things. It can adapt mid-game early game and late game, to to be able to play different styles of games, which is very important when competing at the pro level because the field is so wide open. This isn't like a local defined metagame like your store. You're going to be playing with so many people, and I know that that went a long way into the deck choice that the guys are playing this weekend. And then the last one you have going up is Metalworker. Well, I have Metalworker and Grim Monolith both on there. Yeah. Um, part, I mean, like, you know, it, it's kind of the legacy trifecta. More scarcity of cards, a tournament result, and raw power. When those kind of three things come together, I don't want to say the sky is the limit on these cards, but they have a tendency to really go through the roof. Um, and it's funny because so many of them will be kind of just like lingering on the surface. And if you think about it, it's like, you know, like a frog on a lily pad on the water. It's like, it's just chilling there, but it could just jump off and just be out of control in no time. We have great examples of that of any time a card becomes unbanned. I mean, if you look at Grim Monolith, it was a six to eight dollar bill when it was banned in Legacy, a one of in you know casual formats. Instantly got un- unbanned, and you could play four of it. It went through the roof to fifty dollars. Everyone tried to do nothing with it, or I don't know how much people actually tried to play with this card when it first came out. It didn't really go anywhere. Granted, we still had other you know, really powerful cards in the format at the time, but. You know, it's, it's slowly putting its way back up. And again, with the scarcity of it, with the fact that people will just, you know, hoard this kind of stuff, it could be a 40 or $50 bill. And, you know, it kind of pains me to say it, but it could happen. I mean, we kind of settled on, you know, the 15 to 20 range after people came to their senses again. So it comfortably doubled in value after 
it was uh, unbanned. But again, all of a sudden you have a great you know have a great result from a tournament, and it's going to double in value again. I mean, I think we're selling them for thirty thirty five right now, and it still has room to grow, especially if it posts more results. Mm. And Metalworker is very similar. It's kind of you know it was unassuming at the six eight dollar range. Granted, it you know it wasn't banned or restricted in the in the formats in question, but in combination with the other cards we've been talking about already. It could have a lot of room to grow. I mean, there's a lot more, you know, money, quote unquote, to be made on that card right now than a card like the model. So I think Metalworker is a card you should uh, be on the lookout for. Well, I liked, I really like Metalworker, and I have a, I have a basically lifetime artifact deck that I've had from eons, and that's like one of the mainstays of it forever. I just didn't realize it was it was really ever worth that much money. But it's always been a major powerhouse in my deck when you could sit there and go, here, here's five artifacts. There's ten mana. <laughs> Let's go. There's something so satisfying about tapping a metal worker, showing your opponent a handful of stuff in a mind slaver, and then playing the rest of the game solitaire as you take their turns. <laughs> it's just the fact that they get to see it coming. It's like, oh, I have a second one in my hand, or you'll notice... I have all these other sweet tools that are going to be coming at you shortly. Uh, it's something very satisfying in Magic. I mean, it's not something you really get to do. You don't get to tip your hand and show your opponent just how boned they're about to be that often. Yeah, I'm still I'm still waiting to do that with Metalworker and then show Blightsteel Colossus in my hand and then just kind of pull my hand back up and let them go, oh, that's not going to work out well for them. Well, the, the, the best for me was the first extended season that Mirrodin was in because you got to reveal artifact lands. So, Seed of the Synod and... Uh, Great Furnace also added two colors to your pool out of your hand, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and like I said, it's just it's a fab, it's a really great card, and I didn't realize it was worth as much as it really was. So it's interesting when you when you listed that, it immediately caught my eye. Uh-huh. <laughs> let, let, let's talk about some cards that have been steady. Um, cards that I think are going to be steady. That is, hold the value they have now, but not jump through the roof. So don't go over overboard trading for these cards. Uh, starting most importantly with Sword of Feast and Famine, kind of the another one of the hits of the weekend right now at Magic Weekend. The thing about this card is that it's only a one or two of in these decks, and part of it is kind of its surprise factor. I think that with time moving past the Pro Tour, there's going to be a lot more artifact destruction in people's decks slash sideboards. So this card isn't going to be as you know quote unquote dominant as it has been right now with leading some of Team Fireball to 4-1-5-1 or 5-0 record, or sorry, 4-1-5-0 records in the standard portion of the PT as it stands right now. Not to say it's not a quality card, not to say that the swords don't have great long-term value, but in the near, immediate, months-out future, I think this card's actually going to stay steady. I don't think it's going to play kind of the the wobbly value game that Sword of Body and Mind did where it kind of started a little bit inflated, a lot of them went out there without that much action, kind of went down. I think Sword's going to stay pretty steady. It's not going to go through the roof, even though it's mythic. So, uh, you know, value them value them strong. If you can get a little more out of the people that are super anxious to put those decks together to play it, then I say jump on the opportunity right now. I think one of the advantages that you've been seeing that with that sort of Feast and Famine, uh, they've been playing both swords, but like you said, it's one-ofs. It's one of each, each one of them had one-ofs in their deck. So, you know, it... It's interesting. Like I said, it, it, they're not running four of them. They're running one of this and one of the body and mind, and it's 
it's interesting. I'm, well, it, it, I mean, we've already talked about it. Stoneforge Mystic is really the enabler. Stoneforge Mystic is the four of. Um, you know, if Stoneforge Mystic wasn't in the format, if it didn't exist, but somehow this deck still did, and it had to play four Sword of Feast and Famine, it was still that good, like, it'd be a different story. Um, but it's not. We're, we live in the current reality, so... Yeah, it's it's steady. It's definitely worth keeping. I don't say dump it, but uh, you know, don't go overboard. Try to pick up Swords of Feast and Famine. And your next one seems to be a uh, rather popular card in the format. Uh, you know, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Last week uh, I talked about how it was dropping, and at the time it was all true. Everyone kind of believed this guy wasn't going to see nearly as much action with all of these Battlecry creatures with all these Kadath the Red decks coming around. But the pros have gone and proved us wrong. With so many of the top decks playing three or four copies of this guy all over the place, he's already come back to his kind of pedestal status at $100, and he's still selling again. Uh, I think we all think he can't go past that, but it definitely seems for the foreseeable future this guy is going to stay on target. So don't unload him low. Um, definitely keep him where it's at, and don't be afraid to just keep playing him. I mean, I, I haven't really unloaded all of mine because I still want to play Magic in the next six months or something. So wait, that's, wait, that's, wait, wait. that's where he's at. According to people, you don't play Magic, remember? I, I rarely get the chance. Okay. It's really, really hard when being offered like $70 a piece from ChannelFireball.com for my Jaces. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> all I do is work. <laughs> It's been hard not to pull the trigger, but I, you know, I had him in San Diego that long ago. I got him a long time ago. It's like I'm not ready to give him up yet. And then the last one that steady is is a very uh, very popular card actually, but in uh, red decks, Cargan Dragonlord, which has gone through quite the wild ride. Um, it'll be more explained when we get to the card that's really going down this week, but uh, still staying strong. I think this guy's got versatility. He's got. Um, He's got staying power. I mean, he's not going to, you know, get a lot better right now with more red decks being in the format. I don't think you're going to see an excess of Kargan Dragon Lords because we just got another sweet removal spell printed. But uh, Kargan should should stay strong. I mean, it's it's a, it's a great answer in the mirror match. It's, uh, you know, if left unchecked, it can kill you real fast. And there are definitely plenty of those opportunities in the, in the mountain-based decks. Yeah, let's talk about the one that went down. Uh, and this one, it went through such a wild roller coaster ride of pricing. Well, I mean, real quick, we'll stop and say that, you know, okay. not a lot of cards are going down right now. Yeah. Because there's so much opportunity for cards to go up with popularity in the Pro Tour. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize around, like, weeks that are surrounding events like this is cards aren't dropping, especially in a new standard environment, because a lot of people feel things are open, you can play a lot more. You know, cards will sell. There isn't stuff like slowly dropping off like we'll see in another month or so once people think standard is flushed out and they think they know what's really good and what's really bad. But a card that a lot of people think that's, you know, really not holding up and they're not playing is Koth of the Hammer. I mean, he's done nothing but slowly, slowly drop. I mean, I think right now Channel Fireball, we're selling him for just over $20. Yes. Which seems kind of harsh to say to him. Uh, he's kind of suffering a Gideon Jura-esque drought where Gideon dropped down to about 18, 20 for a while. And like, I was just kind of sitting there going, why, why? This guy's good. He should be doing something. And I think Koth's kind of the same way. Um, I think if he ever drops below 20, you should consider working on building a deck for him. You should pick him up. I mean, we've talked about Kargan Dragonlord and Slagstorm already in this podcast. And those are cards that 
work really well with a certain, you know, hammer pants wearing fellow. Like, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why this card isn't seeing action. Uh, I mean, who knows? I mean, you can get him out there on turn three with Spear of the Suns. There, I've seen plenty of casual decks that play Iron Mirror. I think a big red deck could be out there. I don't even think you need to have a big red deck for him to be good. He saw action in Valakut sideboards. I've even seen a few in the main decks. It's it's not bad. Uh, I'm not really understanding why it just keeps tailing off. Like It's almost like people are mad at him for not being as good as they all want him to be. I remember the talk about him in the beginning, how he was going to be the answer for Jace and the answer for this, that, and another thing. And, and all of a sudden it was like, once Red Deck wins didn't wasn't uh, as popular as it used to be, all suddenly Koth started doing, like you said, that slow, steady decline. So it's kind of interesting. Um, but let's talk about some of the podcasts this week that are up on the website, and uh, one that will be up on this website this week as soon as it gets posted. Uh, Monday Night Magic. Uh, you were on. I was on. Uh, we had a lively discussion about a little bit of magic and a lot of whatever crosses Tom's mind. And it Sounds you, like a standard week over at Monday Night Magic. Yeah, and, and uh, there was an article written this week about podcasting and uh Monday Night Magic was referred to and Tom was referred to as the godfather of podcasting. Well congratulations for Tom. If there were more than two of us I'd try to start a round of applause, but instead <laughs> I will I will once again tell all of our listeners that Monday Night Monday Night Magic um it took a little while for me to get into because I'm not as interested in casual stuff, off the wall stuff, uh Conley Woods awkward things he likes to say. But uh, I am a huge fan of Tom, and I find his voice voice very soothing. And um, just picture a Muppet version of Doctor House, Hugh Laurie, very skinny and very like popping around. That that is that is Tom to a T in my head. He is a great host. Uh, he makes that show, and he makes it so that you know six, eight, ten guys could be on that podcast, and it still sounds like a coherent conversation, and not just. No, this, you suck. No, this is terrible. I love this deck. Oh, man, well, you should Google this. Uh, it's it's great stuff, and uh, I'm, we're glad to have it on, on ChowFirewall.com. Well, one of the things that makes it really um, as good as it is is the fact that the listeners are really so involved with it, and it does help a lot because I, this week, as you know, the don't, do, don't Google this section basically was all listeners, you know, sending us emails on stuff, and it was like, Wow, I mean, when when the listeners can write the content for you, boy, that makes things a lot easier. <laughs> um, also, I posted up this week, uh, uh, Scrubland. They had a lively discussion about faction packs and some other things that they discussed. Uh, Mana Screwed uh, was up a little bit late. Uh, we talked about a little bit of everything. Um, this week should hopefully be coming up a little sooner than this. And also, you were on a, another podcast this week that should be coming up shortly. I, I hope it hits the airwaves shortly. The guys over at Four Spikes were kind enough to uh, invite me to guest on their show. So I ended up doing um, – it's, it's funny. They, they said up front, like, oh, you know, we're we're trying to cut it down for the website. You know, we're trying to make it like an hour. And I was like, oh, that, that's spectacular. I mean, I'm looking at your show notes, and I don't know how you're going to get this in in anything less than 90 minutes. But, you know, more power to you if you can really move this stuff along. And uh, sure enough, I ended up doing – like a 90-minute show, and then they did like an extra or a part two or something with me where we went on for another 45 minutes about whatever was on their minds. So um, obviously I think you should listen to it because, you know, I'm on it. And in many ways it's an homage to me because they just wanted to ask me a bunch of questions. So 
I'm I'm about done stroking my ego with that at that point. But uh, I like the guys over at Force Bikes. Again, I'd like to thank them for having me on. It was fun to talk to them, and uh, I stand by I stand by my my statement that when I was on their show that Smokestacks is not a very good card in Cube. I think that was what we learned from our discussion. Oh, you better watch out, those guys, especially with Cube. Ooh. Uh, I, to me, it was surprising. Like what I learned from them was it wasn't even like I was attacking their cube. I was attacking the card smokestacks, and apparently yeah. it like bore life to them because they defended it to the death. Yeah, that one thing about their cube is they'll defend it to the death. I mean, they really. I mean, the group of people that work on that cube, they. I mean, it's like serious to them, and like everybody's invested in it equally. It's it's quite fascinating to see how hard they'll fight over cards. Well, I I only listened to their one podcast before. I had no idea they were. They were so invested in it because they were they were fairly open to my criticisms and on my own list and how I viewed things. But as soon as I as soon as I made one comment about that smokestack, it was like gloves <laughs> off. <laughs> well, we'd like to talk about this week about what to play at your F and M, uh, and Martin Juza recommends a, a blue black and a blue white version of the Shape of New deck. Uh, obviously, uh, Blightsteel Colossus is such a one hit win. And actually, I really think the blue-white version of it, to me, seems a little better thanks to the ability to cast the one for two that gives you two little two little uh, artifact mirrors that you can blast with Shape Anew and turn Mass them into... That is, a, that is a sweet one. Yes. And I, 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 really I remember like I remember when um, Original Mirror when it was printed. This is actually, it's actually an interesting callback. My roommate and I at the time... We're so desperately trying to make a Proteus Staff deck that you would stack your entire library without having threats in your deck. And we played, like, Decree of Justice and Raise the Alarm, and, and I don't remember what else was actually in there at the time. But now looking at uh, the kind of the shape of new decks that play Master's Call, I was like, oh, man, this is this is so similar to that, you know, terribly slow idea I had a long time ago. And and uh, Master's Call is kind of the upgraded Raise the Alarm for this Mirrodin. And it looks it looks like a lot of fun. I, I'm I'm interested in to seeing how those decks turn out. Uh, I also think you have a recommendation for FNF. Talking about more Masters Call and token generating, I'm all about Mass Polymorph right now. If you're going to play something casual, you're going to play something for fun. Uh, I really want to brew a blue white, you know, maybe splash some green, depending on how easy it is to make tokens. But between Masters Call and Elspeth Tyrell. Uh, it seems like there are some versatile ways to put creatures into play without actually having them be creatures. But again, one of the lists we saw at the Pro Tour was actually running for Squadron Hawk in a Mass Polymorph deck as well, because it's so easy to make sure those guys aren't in your deck before you decide to polymorph off. And you kind of have the guise of a blue-white control deck, because you can kind of play some Disruption, you can play some Squadron Hawks, and I think a lot of people aren't going to see Mass Polymorph coming out of a person who plays Island, Planes, Squadron Hawk. So you're going to get a lot out of there. Um, for me, the Mass Polymorph thing was kind of a pet project because I desperately want to put four Massacre Worms into play at the same time. Which <laughs> Wow. I, I mean, it was mostly because I kept looking at that card and I was like, there's, there's got to be a way for this guy to be good. And Grave Titan just keeps sp- slapping it around being like, no, you're not good. No, no, I'm better. Uh, and right now that might be true, but I keep thinking, like, well, you know, if you could get multiple into play at the same time, then all of their triggers would happen at the same time, your opponent would lose more life. So in this dream world, I've come up with this circumstance in which you can mass polymorph into quad massacre worm, at, at which point it's real easy for your opponent to just die. Uh, but it seems kind of over the top, it seems a bit clunky to put together. 
So alternatively, it's real easy to just put, you know, Iona and an Emmercool into play or a few Eldrazi guys into play. It seems like it'd be just fine. So uh, I, if I was going to go be going to FNM the next couple of weeks to play standard, uh, I would try to try to throw together a sweet mass polymorph deck. I originally with the mass polymorph deck went green blue, and normally because it was so slow, I ended up uh, turning into uh, Palaka worms. When I I turned over one time four Palaka worms and gave myself twenty eight life and was like, oh, I think I'm going to win this one. <laughs> so yeah, it, it is interesting how you can come up with it, but the uh, I, the white just for the ability to get the squadron hawks out is so nice and so easy. Uh, but let's let's ask. We had a viewer question this week uh, from Wheel of Armageddon. He wants to know just how many jerseys do you really own? <laughs> um, you know, it is a question I actually get a lot from people. Uh, and sadly, off the top of my head, I don't think I could know, but I'm pretty sure I could I could do the math real fast. And I've got one franchise, current NHL franchise, that's 30. I've probably got every variety of Sharks jersey from the original, so that's like five more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got four international teams, so Russia, Sweden, Canada, and the USA. Um, I've got a Nordiques jersey. Obviously, you got to have the Gretzky 99 in um, the Kings style. I don't have the Edmonton one, though. I want to get that. I obviously have to have a Lemieux jersey. Um, uh, well, I, I mean, I like I have a couple of my own from playing, which I guess those count. And I even have like a I have full tilt poker one because who who doesn't play poker and have one of those? That seems like pretty sweet to me. So if I if you, uh, obviously my mathematician Robert was adding all those together and he can tell me how many that was right now. It's right near fifty. Wow! Wow! Now, I'm a little surprised, I'm not going to lie. I didn't think it was that many. I do know that it's really awkward when I go apartment hunting, especially with my girlfriend, because... <laughs> I need a closet. I, yeah, I'm, I'm always the one being like, well, this is not nearly enough closet space. <laughs> Definitely going to need more closet space. This is not working for me. Yeah, normally it's the uh, opposite of where she looks. Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, I also have a, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, I have a, a pretty full Converse collection, got various different colors, so the same thing is true about the shoe rack. It's like, this is not, this is not enough space. Well, this you is and, not large enough. You and David Williams, he was, uh, he ironically was selling off a whole bunch of his Nikes that he owns because he's got so many of them, so... I don't know what is it with all your poker players and all these shoes and stuff like that. I'll tell you. you gotta, yeah, you gotta mix it up, and that—that's to me. It's like when you play poker a lot, or you really do anything repetitive. It's like just putting on different shoes. You know, like Dave. Dave is great with the man outfit. Like he'll come out there looking different. He'll have a cool look. You know, something hipster, something nerdy, something preppy. And like I, I understand that. It's like you know, I, I'd love to do that if I had the time, the money, and. Like, I, I was just twiddling my thumbs sometimes. I'm sitting there, like, folding all the time. Like, I'd be coming up with stuff like that. So, in, in my own small way, you know, I definitely have the converse that match certain shades of jersey and so on and so forth. And it's important, and it gives you something to do. You know, there is one more jersey that I think most people are looking for. I'm listening. The mythical Channel Fireball jersey. Oh, gosh. I knew you were going to get me on that. I'm, I'm going gonna... to. I'm going to, because I'm telling you this. If anything, if you can't produce it for the masses, then you just need to get a hard cast jersey like that. 
And I, I, I mean, that, that's rude. If I was going to go as far to, to get one for myself, I would, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be able to wear it. Because I definitely want everyone else to be able to get one. I wanted one. Okay. Uh, and you know, Chris Hotwell from MTG Cast has bugged me several times ever since I brought up a Monday Magic. Like, so when are we, we going to get him? Like, here's my size, here's my dimensions, here's the number <laughs> I want in the back of mine. When am I going to get it? Are you going to have him in Denver? I'm going to be in Denver. Are you going to have him in Denver? I'm like, <laughs> Sadly, no. Um, you know, I, I recently got Luis on board with the idea, so fingers crossed, we will have them this year. You know, last year I got, like, approval to go, you know, make them happen, and it never really came together. But that's, you know, I think step one, for, I have to come at it from a different angle. Like, step one, I was originally just trying to, like, find a material or find a supplier. I think now I, I want to, like, present logos. And I think that will get people more jazzed about it. As we've already talked about, like, I want a new hardcast logo with our fireball with some sweet headphones on and a microphone. And I still need to make the hockey logo where we lose the television attached to his back. We put some arms on him and give him a stick. And I think if people really saw those logos, then it would be game on. We'd have we'd have a ton of pre-orders for sweet jerseys. Well, yeah, but then the only thing about it is when the Channel Fireball people wear the jersey, you're going to have to get Conley to take off his jacket. Um, if I have to physically rip it off, him, I will do it because because the team look would be so sweet. I mean, what if they just like you know? I'm thinking like Reservoir Dog style, like half a dozen Magic players strolling into the room in their team garb, or you you know you can you can splash it like '90s pop style and go like you know for the the, the Are you ready for this Jock Jam style of all of our dudes rolling into the room for a Grand Prix? Like you know, it's a little corny, but uh, you know it's 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 our like you know it's a way to get amped about it. I think it would be great. Well, anything, you know, like I said, it's a lot of it is its uniqueness and being different, and that's and really that's what helps. I mean, if you have something that's different that people really want, it's going to sell like crazy. So that's why the that's why I bring it up because, like Chris and like myself, I you know I am one of the people that actually would want a jersey. So, but hey, I mean, I will take your money tomorrow. Okay, and if I have enough people's money, I'll just <laughs> I'll just get them made. <laughs> I, I'm up to two. I mean, I've definitely heard plenty yeah. of people say like, "Oh, I'm interested," or "Let me know when that happens." But sure, I've got. I'll take a check from from you and Chris Hotwell, and I'll put them. I'll set them aside. I'll put them on the wall in the office and be like, "All right, I've sold two already." Once we get to the magic number, bam! You just gotta, you gotta email me what you want on the back, what do you want it to say, and what your number to be. And we'll, we'll like I said, I want to I want to get the ball, push it back up the hill, make this happen. Well, like I said, it's it's definitely something that's interesting. But you have an exclusive coupon. Ah, for all of the faithful listeners that have already tuned in to two whole, or maybe just one, maybe you're a cheater like some of the other people that didn't listen to the first one, but we're informed about this super sweet podcast. We have a special promo code this week for people on the website. Now, it's not incredible. Like, I don't have an amazing deal where you get a free set its own Forge Mystics every time you buy a Sword of Feast and Famine, but... This week, if you go to the website in the next seven days and you place an order on the website and you use the coupon code HARDCAST, you will get yourself a free Mirrodin Besiege spin-down life counter, normally only found in fat packs. We've got a surplus of them. I'm giving away to all of our listeners who just spend just spend five bucks. All you do is spend five dollars. You get the spin-down die with your order. It seems it seems like a win to me. I don't know about you, Rob. Do you like these spin down die? Actually, I do because uh, I'm normally a paper person, but the spin down die always seems to be when I've seen it used. It it just it seems to look cooler, you know. Interesting, and interesting. I, I was surprised you went from the angle of cool. Like yeah. here you are ruining the planet, throwing paper away every time you go and play Magic. Oh, you're just using a die. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You know. I'm not exactly green. 
I mean, you know, look look for Channel Fireball Life Pads at Grand Prix Denver booth. We'll have them there. Exclusive Channel Fireball Life Pads. I think we're doing them in black, which is kind of off the beaten path. You'll still be able to write in a black pen. There'll be some some other colored area in there. But, uh, you know, speaking of just using a life pad instead of a die. But for all you environmentally conscious hippies like myself who are interested in using more dice, head over to Channel Fireball, spend five bucks, type in the hardcast. Actually, just hardcast. Just hardcast. Yeah. No spaces, hardcast. And you will get yourself a Mirror to Besiege spin-down die. Colors will vary. Supply might vary. Although, if, you know, if five people use this promo code, I'll be astonished. So You never know. I mean, we've had, we, had, we had a lot of responses and a lot of positive feedback to the last show. So. And all I'm asking to do is spend five bucks. I mean, yeah. I throw that away on coffee like every other day. <laughs> Well, speaking of th- speaking of places that drink a lot of coffee, uh, where are where are our most of our pros this week? Awkward segue of the week number one. Yes. Um, we we've got pretty much everyone from Team Fireball is currently battling it out, as Luis would like to say, at Magic Weekend Paris. I don't I don't necessarily want to call it Pro Tour Paris because there's a Grand Prix and there's all this hype and hullabaloo. So we'll call it Magic Weekend Paris. Um, we have some, we, we, again, we're recording this right after the end of day one, so we got some pretty awesome results. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to knock people like Josh or Layton while they're down, but, uh, some of our other players are doing just fine right now. If you want to give us a quick rundown on how they're doing, Rob. Well, Ben Stark is leading the pack at 8-0. He's tied with, uh, another person at 8-0. Um, Paolo at 21, 7-1. He's ninth. Uh, Tom Martell, uh, 13th, uh, with all the tiebreakers, 7-1. Uh, LSV, 14th, 21. So that would be out of the top 16 currently right now, going into day two, having four of the top 16, uh, is really good. Uh, Owen, Owen Turwall, who is still in the running at 52nd with 18 points. Uh, then we had, uh, David Ochoa with 16. Uh, Juzo at 16, uh, Matt with 12, uh, Tom Ross with 12, and Conley with 12, Josh with 9, and, uh, Shuhei Nakamura with 6. So you did need, you did need 15 points or more to day two at the Pro Tour. So yes. we've got, um, it's, it's Ben, Paulo, Tom, Luis, Owen, the Ocho, and our newest member, Martin Juza, all still in the hunt for large sums of cash, Pro Tour glory, and uh, who knows, maybe even a title. I mean, uh, Luis has already emailed me today saying, can't I just win one this year? I'm not asking for much. You know, 16-0 in the first Pro Tour last year. And just, I just want just a little bit better this time, just a little bit better. That's all he wants. What, win one. I mean, what people I mean, what people don't understand is how difficult it is just to win one. You think of, you know, you think of what, uh, you know, even Brad did last year with all the top eights and how difficult that is. Just to be that consistent. I mean, look at Paulo. I mean, Paulo, his season was up and down and up and down, but he went. He managed to win one, and it's like Paulo, Paulo, Victor Dominarosa. One match went away from just flat out being Player of the Year last year, and now he is, just, you know, just one spot out of the top eight at the end of day one right now. I mean, look at look at a guy who you can't really ask a whole lot much more from this guy. He is. Amazing. I, I, I don't know. In many ways, I'm going to make my football reference here. Uh, in many ways, w- w- Paulo has the ability to do what Green Bay just did, and that's once he wins the first one, 
it's going to be like he's going to be favorite to win the next one and potentially the next one after it because he's just so consistent every year. And, man, he is so young. That's what's scary. You know, it's just it's amazing. And like I said, go back to his article this week, and it'll explain in many ways why he is consistent as he is. So uh, there's also um, uh, Channel Fireball also has an article up on Ben Stark leading the pack at Pro Tour Paris, and then uh, next week's next week's articles. Uh, you think we might get some tournament reports out of this? Yeah, not a whole lot to preview in this moment because I'm not sure. Like again, so many of us, so many of our guys are playing right now that it's hard to say um, when we're going to get content from them, what exactly it'll be, but. If I was a venture guess, I think we're going to see, read some pretty sweet tournament reports in the near future. Um, so many guys can talk about their testing. So many guys can talk about their performances. Um, there is just going to be so much content once they get back that's going to be really great. And we'll really get to know exactly what, what has been going on, uh, what, hap- what will happen in the immediate future, and where to move forward with that information playing Magic from there. It's just, it, again, it's it's an amazing, it was amazing when I was looking over the list of people and where they were, and it was just like, wow, really? <laughs> Top 16, this many? I mean, it's like, oof. I mean, the sky's the limit this weekend. I mean, you could be, tomorrow, you could be looking, you could be looking at four people potentially in the top eight. I mean, to think half the field would be Channel Fireball in the top eight would be pretty amazing. And especially with the way it's going in, Par- in Paris, so you never know. So what else do we have to do to wrap up the show here? Um, not too much. I mean, I, I think we went a little bit longer this week than we have in the past. Uh, I just want to kind of not necessarily kind of reaffirm a mission statement we never yeah. re- uh, said in the first place for our show, but, you know, the reason we want to do this, release it on Fridays, is kind of a recap, uh, kind of go over what's hot is, I, I, my, my goal when creating this wasn't even so much to talk about cards, which is what I'm good at, but you know, try to be an important you know outlet for players looking to play more Magic in any arena. So again, we hope to get these things posted Thursday night, Friday morning. Our, our goal is that you know you'll be able to listen to them before you you go to your weekend of Magic. If that's just Friday Night Magic, if that's Friday Night Magic in a pre-release or a release event, if that's Friday Night Magic into a PTQ, if that's your PTQ, your whatever your Saturday tournaments are, whatever you sit back, throw the legs up, and get on MTGO for the weekend and play. Want to just kind of recap everything that happens on the website, point you in the right direction for whatever deck you might be playing or cards you might be interested in picking up for the trade binders this weekend. Uh, so yeah, I mean we encourage we encourage listeners pre FNM, post FNM, before you head off to those events these weekends. Now, if you aren't going to read everything that goes up on our website, because, man, if you do, then you're way ahead of the game already, uh, you know, stop by the podcast, listen to what we have to say. Maybe you'll pick out a gem or two of what you're interested in. Maybe you'll pick up a deck list in the future, catch an updated interview with somebody that's going to update their article they wrote prior in the week, maybe with some new options or card changes. Uh, that's really kind of our mission here. We want to we want to bring you, you know, the best of, of every front, you know, tell you what, what's hot, Tell you uh, what people have said and uh, help your game out. Can't ask for much more than that. Um, and then what else? What else do you want to refer to with the Friday Night Magic stuff? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if you know your local store uh, has listened to us or 
or people, you know, like, you know, get get the get the ball rolling at your local FNM. Uh, kind of stir the pot about uh, what you've heard here or what you like or what you're looking for. And, uh, you know, contact myself, tsgchannelfireball.com, about your local stores where you guys play Friday Night Magic. Give us a shout-out, and we'll try to do the same for you. Uh, we're working on organizing some kind of uh, drawings or kind of, like, bonuses or giveaways for those local stores that um, are interested in, hopefully, what will be the ever-growing content coming from our guest. Yeah, well, like I said, it's 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 been a lot of fun. And, you know, like you said, we're trying to reach out to the community and give them more of what they need before, they, like you said, before they go to battle. Uh, you know, otherwise, outside of that, I can't say much more. I thought, again, another uh, great podcast. We had a lot of information this week, uh, a lot of stuff to go through. And, boy, I'm looking, like I said, I, after I do this, I almost look forward to be there. I almost look forward to next week after this week being done. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, anything before we close out here? Nope. Just uh, go to channelfireball.com for all your updates. Uh, you will obviously be updating the site on um, how the gentlemen are doing over in Paris. And yeah, then, definitely watch all not just all of Team Fireball, but uh, everything that transpires in Magic Weekend. Uh, it should be pretty sweet heading into next week and heading into you know standard and limited forward. I mean, this is such a sweet time that a set just came out and yet we're going to have so much information about you know what's good what's not good what direction to go uh what what av- new avenues might be out there to try well let's let's get your prediction on air so we can post it right away um brad or Guillaume? uh i think you know I, i've had a little insider about you know brad brad was sick brad was jet lagged i mean mean meanwhile guillaume is all smiles he's uh on his home turf you know, he's just at his apartment chilling with Chapin and friends, testing during the week. Uh, I think he has a huge leg up here on home field advantage and not having to go through the, the rigorous journey that it took to Paris. Now, I'm not saying Brad doesn't have the ability to just pull it out out of nowhere. He seems like he did that a lot last year, but I definitely think it's uh, advantage Guillaume. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same boat with you, and we could both be wrong come you know, come Monday, uh, come Sunday, actually, we could both be wrong on this, but yeah, it's, it's so hard when you have to fly all across the world and stuff, or like that, just to go and perform and then have all that pressure underneath it, too. Oof. But yeah. Well, we, we do have a bit of a, we have a preview, because we know what decks they're playing. Yes. Because um, they have to play the, the standard decks that they register for the Pro Tour. And I think that, um, the, the blue white deck, the kind of cargo variant, the one we've been talking so much about, the channel Team Fireball is running, it's the same thing that uh, Brad's running. I think it has a leg up on the kind of Grixis-esque uh, Tezzeret deck that Guillaume is running. And granted, Guillaume does have Slagstorms on the sideboard, Pyroclasm's main deck, um, and most importantly, Tumble Magnet to kind of stop whoever's holding the sword. So it should be it should be interesting. I think as far as deck choice-wise goes in standard, Brad does have a bit of an advantage, but I don't think that's going to overcome just the... Uh, the week that the week the two weeks and even the past few months that Brad's had. Yeah, but like I said, it should be very interesting, and it starts at two a.m. Eastern, or for you, uh, midnight. Midnight so. Pacific tonight. So you know you'll be able to uh, stay up, watch it, and uh, go from there. I think it. I think it should be very interesting, but we have it on record. So, but on that note, I think we should wrap up the show. 
Yeah, you could, uh, again, direct your comments, questions, concerns, ideas, feedback, uh, New Jersey ideas, your pre-order checks can be, I'll get you the details <laughs> through there where you send them to. Everything can be directed to tsg at channelfireball.com. Yes, and uh, you can reach me at robert at mtgcast.com. There you have it. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week.